We've been called many things. Two peas in a pod. Thelma and Louise. Best friends. Thing one and thing two. And a good number of times, even sisters. But the one we love the most is mother and daughter. And that's the tea. What's the tea, Nina? Is that's the tea. That, that's but, the tea. But I don't get it. Never mind. I'll explain it later. Welcome to Real Talk with Deb and Nia. As a friendly reminder, you can find our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So make sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss out. Welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Deb and Nia. I'm Nia. And I'm Deb, and this is the final episode of our Letting Go series, and we're ending with a chat on grief. Uh, This is a tough one for us, and as it probably is for many of you, yet it can be a part of the letting go process, maybe even the toughest part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, grief is long. (laughs) It's long. It's, it's, It's unpredictable. It comes in waves you never know when it sneaks up on you a lot of times it's kind of like what what do they call it phantom limbs you you'll wake up one day and you'll just be down and out not realize why and then you realize that it might be a significant day uh, that you know is connected to why you're grieving and it's just you gotta take it in stride (laughs) it's it's yeah and I think everyone's path is different that it we will is. explore. With and <laughs> every death is different because um, it was different for me with my mom mm-hmm. than it was uh, with your dad. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, as we prepared for today's guest, I felt two things. The first was excitement because we really enjoy chatting with her. She's witty and wise and a really, really great conversationalist. The second feeling <laughs> that emerged was uncertainty. And well, we're back in the saddle now and we're doing the show when we generally feel pretty good most times, most days. There's just really no pretending that things are as they were before everything changed. You know, before I had a mom whom I still adore and I speak of frequently and I actually speak to with some degree of frequency. And for me, that keeps her alive in my mind and in our heart. And you had a Nana who, you know, let her do things I wouldn't let her do. So, <laughs> so she's, she's missing that, I'm sure. We also had a husband and a father whose loss we still have not reconciled. So now here we are in the present, living in the earthly absences of two people we just couldn't have even imagined living without. Now, if you're a regular Real Talk listener, you know we love rabbit holes. But a grief conversation is an indescribable rabbit hole that made mom think of the book Alice in Wonderland. It did. It did. (laughs) You know, because after years and years of creating routines and traditions and things that you do as a family or you do with your loved one, living in the land of the unexpected now is like trying to find a new normal. And it brought to mind Alice's quote it's no use going back to yesterday because I was a different person then. And that's kind of how I feel. I feel like I'm changed. So without a doubt, grief has a way of changing our perceptions and our perspectives, you know, like who's a child without a parent or a parent without a child, you know, in the absence of a husband, am I still a wife? You know, that's come up for, for us where I had to fill out a form and it said married, single. Those are the only two choices. Divorce, I think, was one. I just wrote in myself, widow, because it felt like if I said I was single, I was denying that part of who I was, am. I'm not sure anymore, you know, And but the world doesn't want to allow me to have that assignment. I'm now single. Uh, and and it's, it's taking some getting used to new roles, you know? So what does a holiday look like? We have a lot of traditions, a lot of traditions. There were things Nia did with her dad. They put the tree together. We don't have a real tree because we leave ours up forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she would put that together and then I would supervise and make sure they had enough lights on it. Now that's not something I did. And, you know, I wonder if I'm doing that with you, do you feel the loss in that moment? So we're trying to figure out 
what life looks like now and create new traditions. Mm -hmm. So there's so many things that trigger the loss and we have a need to just really redefine who we are and what we do. And it's not just death that causes grief. You know, it could be the loss of almost anything that we hold dear. It could be a job, it could be a friend, it could be a home, a lifestyle. You know, certainly in the case of COVID, it was a lot of our sense of mental stability mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and safety and freedom. So today, in an attempt to learn from an effective way of how to get from here to there, we're talking about grief. What is it? How can we navigate back or forward to a growth-inspiring, peaceful, joyous, and more vibrant life? So to help us do that, we invited Susan Blaze to share her wisdom and expertise regarding grief. A little bit about Susan. Susan Blaze has a diverse background with an ongoing commitment to personal growth for herself and her clients. She made the long journey from receptionist to CEO in the corporate world over 25 years, beginning when women were just starting to move into management in the insurance industry. Along the way, she obtained a master's in marriage and family therapy, which was instrumental in helping her lead teams through nine mergers and acquisitions during this business journey. After retiring from executive management, she became certified as a coach through Coach Training Institute and has helped leaders at every level develop their personal and professional awareness and skills. She's certified in several areas of coaching, including deep emotional healing in the Akashic Records. After several losses in her own life, she became an advanced grief recovery specialist so she could help herself and others heal from the many losses we all encounter. Susan says, and I quote, while grief is a shattering emotional experience, it can become a gateway for acquiring wisdom and compassion if we take right actions to recover from it. End quote. (laughs) Welcome, Susan. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you. And boy, I can feel the emotion welling up myself right now because I lost my mother and my brother since the beginning of this year also. And also friends, you know, so it's it's uh, alive in all of us. You're passing it on. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It is. It's so so true. But it's okay because humans, 100% of humans go through grief and we go through it many times because we all have losses of all kinds, starting from when we're little kids. You know, we got called out by the teacher in first grade. We weren't picked for the softball team. Our pet died. Our grandmother died. I mean, it's just we start grieving at a very early age, all of us. And we go through it many, many times part of the love process right life is this whole cycle right of of you can call it winning and losing or you can call it gaining saying hello saying goodbye you know and that's what our life's about in our society and i think probably most of human society we're not really trained in it we're not really educated in what it means to have grief and how to deal with it how to support each other through it so we're kind of like stumbling around in the dark trying to help people we love and help ourselves but we just don't always have the tools. It really just comes down to that. That is a great segue to my first question. What is an advanced grief recovery specialist? Because we don't think of it as, you know, we kind of go time heals all wounds and we just right, do our right. own thing. The grief recovery method, which is what I am trained in, was developed about 40 years ago by two people, John James and Russell Friedman, after they had both experienced tremendous losses And John James resorted to alcohol after the loss of a very young child. And through that, he was exposed to the 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he had found that there was no real way to recover from this grief. He was having all kinds of trouble figuring out, how do I get better? This is horrible. And I seem to have no help. And I don't know where to get help. And no one knows what to do. And so he, over time, put together a program. It is not a 12-step program. But you can see some of the the principles if 12 step, you know, that in the program that is very, very structured It's a very structured program, but it leads you step by step to take ownership of the feelings and to actually learn how to cope with them. That's really what it's about. It's really an educational program. It's not therapy. It's not even really counseling, although as a coach, I do coach my people through it. 
It is an educational program that teaches tools so that we can deal with grief now. And once we have those tools, we'll be able to deal with it better for the rest of our lives. How did you get involved with this? You know, a lot of times we start doing things because we have a need. I I know the podcast kind of started like that for us. Um, How did you get involved with this? I started this um, because my brother died of cancer and we had a very tumultuous relationship. We had one of these up and down relationships our whole life. There were times we were really close growing up. And then as we got older, for various reasons, we had no contact or very hostile contact on and off for years and years and years. And so when he died, I had this whole bundle of conflicting emotions and thank God I had the opportunity. He, he lives, I live in California. He was in New Hampshire. But one of the best things I've ever done was go to see him a couple of weeks before he died and spent five days with him. And we got to at least hash out some of the issues we had had. Not completely, as I discovered. But it was that loss that woke me up to this particular program because one of my best friends lost her husband suddenly uh, about two years ago actually almost three years ago now. And she found the grief recovery program. And so after my brother died, I'm like, what was that program again that you went through? And so uh, that's how I went to it and found out that they have a certification program and took it and worked through my grief with my brother and have since helped a number of other people get through their grief because it really does. It's only one way, you know, no, nothing is a magic bullet, but it is definitely a, an effective way to deal with grief and to actually recover from it. Well, what's so special about this program, though? What makes it different? I would, now, I mean, I haven't been through other programs, but I know there's all kinds of grief support groups and things like that. This one, because it's, to me, having the structure to the program, and, and it's it's based on the client deciding to recover and then taking very specific steps, which involve contemplating the relationship and contemplating how we have been through grief at other times in our lives and some of the things that happened to us and step by step working through our own ways of coping with grief, this particular relationship that we want to work on and so on. A lot of it is writing this homework every week where you write out specific things that help you see the insights you get from writing things out, answers to specific questions and so on is very, very helpful. So that's what I found is that for me, it was, I like structure sometimes because I tend to be a real right brain, just sort of wing it person. And, but for me, sometimes structure is very helpful. And this, I found it to be very helpful. And my clients have found it that way. Maybe it doesn't work for everyone. Nothing works for everyone, but for someone who's willing to take this process, I think it's very helpful. It sounds like it'd be really good for people who like to journal as well. It's just more directed and guided. Yes, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what is grief? You know, I assume that grief, well, I would think it, well, even just between mom and I, our expression of grief is different. What is grief? Is there an umbrella term for it? When, when well, what the way grief in this particular program, the way it's, Um, described is grief is the normal human response to loss of a relationship or a familiar pattern of behavior. Because when we lose a relationship, and it doesn't have to be through death, it can be through divorce or just a fight between friends and you lost one of your best friends, or, you know, you used to work with this person who was like right next to you and you worked together every day and they moved across the country. There are, it's over 40 different reasons people grieve, but it's the natural human response to loss. Under that umbrella of grief, I'm sure you found this, we can find ourselves going through like a cycle of emotions kind of under this big umbrella of our response to loss, right? You could be crying your eyes out one minute and then you think of some funny thing that happened with that person and then you start laughing and then Something else happens and you get angry. It's it's very common for people to be angry. My friend whose husband died suddenly, she was so angry at him for almost two years. She's like, how dare you leave me like this? And part of the grief recovery is learning that these are just natural human responses to loss. And it's okay to be angry. You're not hurting that person, right? but it's important <laughs> right. to express the feelings that you have 
and own them because otherwise your other choice, my first therapist used to say this brilliant saying, if you grieve it, you can leave it. But if you stuff it, you have to bluff it. <laughs> yeah, we were talking even before we get on the air about someone who lost a child years ago, right? And if we stuff those feelings, which we're often taught to do, especially men, be strong, you know, you can handle it. If we just stuff all that grief down, well, it's still working underneath the scenes, churning up our emotions, stealing our peace. And if we never really deal with it, then we're incomplete. And so that's part of, if I can sort of segue into grief recovery, grief recovery is really about, I mean, it's very basic. It's about learning to feel better, but it's really about giving a voice to all the feelings and emotions and things that were never said or done, either the things that you wished you had done different, better, or more. I wish I had told him more that I loved him. I wish I had taken him on that trip that he always wanted to go on before he died. All that woulda, coulda, shoulda stuff drives us nuts, right? It drives us insane. And part of the grief recovery process is actually facing all that stuff, writing it down, and being able to complete all those things that were incomplete in the relationship. because. Another part of it, especially if a child dies or if, you know, I mean, there's these tragic stories of people who just get, I just lost a friend a few months ago. She was about in her early forties, I think. She was a nurse. She was incredible, just an amazing human being. And she finally found the love of her life and married him. And two months later was diagnosed with horrible cancer. She died. It was horrible, right? And so one of the things that we often grieve that can be unexpressed is all the dreams and hopes and expectations we had for that relationship that never got to come to pass. That's a loss in itself that we never got to take that trip to Europe or whatever the thing was that we wish could have happened. Those are huge parts of it too. And so part of this process is we gather all that stuff and we write it down in a specific way, and we give it a voice. We give voice to the things that are otherwise stuffed down into that cave inside of us and never get to be expressed. As you're talking, my mind is going because, because of course, I'm listening and I'm also, I don't know, ruminating. <laughs> you were speaking about, you know, looking at those patterns. I had a really good friend of my mom who's like an aunt to me, had breast cancer. And I went to see her and she was on this experimental treatment, but she looked fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Nia was maybe six weeks old. So this is 20 years old and it's like it was yesterday. And she looked fabulous and she was saying things to me like, or she was showing me their house in Florida. They lived in Wisconsin. She had a house in Florida. And she said, "Um, I will never go back there. And I said, oh, no, no, no. That whole dismissing it. Um, and then she said, Uncle Johnny asked me if there was any place that I wanted to go. But no, there's nowhere I want to go. And I think I felt like, oh, she's trying to give up. And I said, no, no, it will it will be fine. And again, she looks absolutely almost angelic. And we finished the visit. I told her I loved her, of course. And yet I didn't say all the things that I would have said had I known, because only a few weeks later, she was gone. And in terms of a pattern, I find myself not wanting to be in the moment as if it's giving up on the person because it came back again. The last thing I said as my mom was dying in my arms was, it wasn't supposed to be this way. The last thing I said as we were releasing Larry was not like this. So I'm hearing, I have a pattern of there's some way that Deb gets to control the how. And when it, not that I know what it would look like, I feel like I don't connect like I wish I would have connected because somehow that's giving up on the person. And it's, I guess it's my job to stand in the gap and fight for them you know, mm-hmm. until we win, not until the end, you know, right. um, but I see, I can see a pattern. 
I can, I'm losing it now. So I can't even imagine what sitting there and writing through that uh, would be. <laughs> but on the other side of it, there's all this, I wish I had said this, or mm-hmm. I wish we'd had this conversation as opposed to me being in. And after each time I said, I'm not going to do that again. But I end up right back in some version of that. So I hear what you're saying about that, the pattern, at least for me. Yes. And me, it's very different, you know. Yeah. And see, and the other thing is, I hope that you won't beat yourself up about that because losing someone we love is so overwhelming and so, um, I mean, I often compare it to getting hit by a truck or, or <laughs> you know, it can be that way, right? It, it seems like a shock. So just as, you know, if we're standing there and a truck is bearing down on us, we're going to say, well, not this way. I mean, we don't, we want to just say, no, this can't be happening because it's a, it's a natural defense. And one of the other parts about grief that I'd like to bring up, because it's kind of refreshed my memory back to Nia's question, you know, what is grief? Because we haven't generally speaking in our society been given good tools to handle grief. Then we stay because we all are so hard on ourselves, right? We start thinking there's something wrong with me. I didn't handle it correctly. I should have been better. I should have been stronger. Grieving does not mean there's anything wrong with you. It does not mean there's anything that needs to be fixed. It is just a normal and natural response. And everybody grieves in their own way. And one of you said something about how it's always so different. Like you're both Mm -hmm. grieving differently because... You are individuals. Each of us is unique. We have our own fingerprints and DNA. And the other person that we're grieving also was unique. And each of us, like your relationship with Larry was totally different for each of you. So each of you has a unique relationship with him, just using that experience since it's so you know current. And each of you will grieve differently. And one of the other things that happens often is that we compare our grief. There's an example in the grief recovery handbook, which we'll talk about later. But one of them, I forget if it was Russell or John, was at a dinner party. The woman who had given the party had just lost her husband. And John or Russell said to a woman sitting next to them, well, you know, what's going on in your life and whatever. And she said, oh, I just got divorced, but my grief is nothing like hers. I just got divorced. She lost her husband. Well, the grief of a divorce can be every bit as painful or as gut-wrenching, as life-altering as a death. And so that's one of the things we, again, it's an education. We learn to not compare our grief because each person has grief. Some people losing their cat can be worse than losing their spouse or their parent or whatever, because that they were with that cat every day. They had a real, you know, understanding. And so it's, we just, That's why I say in this process, we can learn to have wisdom and compassion. And we start to realize each person is going to feel it in their own way. They're going to experience it in their own way. And it's all okay. You know, it's it's not for us to measure or judge ourselves or others against any. There is no rule or standard that we should live by, you know. Does everyone, in your opinion, experience grief um, in some way, shape or form? Because sometimes, you know, you have people and they're like, oh, I'm fine. You know, no, like yes. I'm okay. <laughs> you know, are, is it true? <laughs> or, or, or are well, you stuffing things down? From my experience and from, you know, the studies that are I've read, 100% of humans grieve at various times because we all lose things. We all lose jobs you know, relationships, parents, siblings, freedom, money, we lose all kinds of things. And so I believe we all grieve. But again, often because of the way we've been taught or raised, there's actually something in the grief recovery method we call Academy Award grief. I'm fine. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Probably. Now, they might be grieving in private. I kind of hope they are. But somehow, see, they bought into one of the myths, which is to be strong for others, perhaps, especially if that person might be a leadership role. You know, maybe they're a boss and they have employees like, oh, no, I can't let them see me be down because then it's going to bring them down. Or, you know, it's often for noble purposes. 
but it's not really helpful often you know to <laughs> to pretend everything is okay i mean there are sometimes when i guess it is appropriate but hopefully those people are still grieving when they're on their own because it's really a process that can lead us through you know if we if we allow it to it's like um i think we spoke the other day and we we're just talking about this of alchemy you know Grief is definitely the lead. It is a hunk of lead that's dropped into our life. And now we have the opportunity to alchemize it into gold, which is not easy, but can be worth it. Oh, I think I think that's definitely true. What's on the, the polar opposite end of that? Like you, the Academy <laughs> Award winning grief. Um, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, but then there's the other side where people can't get out of bed. They are. Yes, just, absolutely debilitated. Yep. Yeah. What happens with that? Like, how do they do? Well, unfortunately, some people never do. I don't know if we talked about this the other day, but no, um, I clearly remember I was a kid. I was maybe eight or nine years old. My parents, who married very young, had very close friends that they were with all the time. Actually, the man's name was also Larry. He and his wife, Yvonne, were drying, washing the dishes. He was drying dishes one night by the kitchen sink, and he was 27 years old, and he dropped dead on the floor of a heart attack. She never, ever got over it. She lived into her 80s. That was like the defining moment of her life. And it was very sad because I saw her all through her life because she and my mom were pretty much best friends, and they stayed in touch, wait, you know, off and on their whole lives. But she always had that sadness, you know, that just sort of like a despair almost. It's very, very sad. And it's, you know, I think part of it, this can happen in all kinds of situations, right? Is people don't feel or they don't know that there's a way out. People can get into despair for all kinds of things. Grief is probably an easy one because it's so painful to begin with. But if people don't realize there's actually a way out, then they can sort of give up hope and they just sort of say, well, this is the way it's going to be. I say this without judgment. I don't mean to judge any. I'm not judging. But there's a certain time. I think some people, for whatever reason, even if I mean, there's stories all the time of people who have really horrible things happen in their life, maybe over and over and over. Like I've actually seen stories of people who are in concentration camps and all kinds of horrible things happening to them. And at a certain point, they say, I'm not going to let this define me. I am not going to be taken down by this. And that's when things can turn around. But there has to be a spark either internally, you know, some kind of divine intervention or somebody who says, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. You can change. You can come through this. And when that happens, that's when people can make the turnaround and start to move on the path of recovery. But it's not guaranteed. You know, each person, we still, I don't believe, you know, some people say, some spiritual teachers, like you choose everything that happens to you. I do not believe that. Some things just happen. We didn't, you know, choose to have COVID take on our whole society or whatever. We don't choose for our loved ones to have bad things happen to them. But then we get to choose how we respond. You know, that's where we have choice. And again, it doesn't mean that we're going to go, okay, I'm going to get over this. I'm good now. Right? No, it's that we allow ourselves to feel what we feel. But then if we know or understand that I'm not always going to feel this bad, I will eventually heal, you know, whether it's through faith or taking steps to recover. There's that spark, I believe, in the human spirit, you know, that makes us rise above whatever's going on. So you've got the spark. What's the start? <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you do after the spark? Right. Well, it's like, okay, I've decided, I, you know, I want right. to I've decided I want to get better. Well, then, like my friend whose husband died two years ago, she's one of those people that she was so absolutely blown away because it was such a shock. It was just here today, gone tomorrow, literally just taken off the face of the earth. I mean, just, you know, it's talk about 
a traumatic accident or, you know, just blew her away. She was really taken out for a few months, but then she just started thinking, okay, I've got to figure out how to get better. This is horrible. I don't want to live like this the rest of my life. You know, there's times, of course, like some of us do, probably everybody gets there. Sometimes you think, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if I want to go on, but then she thought, I'm going to start researching ways to do this. And she did a lot of research on her own and she discovered the grief recovery method. And so it's like anything, if we have a problem to solve, you know, we can do research to find a way, you know, that other people might choose other paths. There are other paths. Like I said, there's grief recovery or grief support groups and all kinds of things. But if a person, it's like a, you get to almost a tipping point where you go, okay, I've suffered long enough. I want to do something about this. I do not want to feel this way for the rest of my life. And then what resources are available? And that's when people start make, doing research and they find a way that's going to help. Did I answer your question? Yeah. You say grief support groups. I know those things went through my mind. And of course, we did hospice twice. So they have services available through that. Yes. Um, for me personally, as an introvert, <laughs> it just didn't appeal to me in this in the same way as right. something that I could do in a more private way, uh, right. just, yes. you know, my yes. own process. Yeah, exactly. In the grief recovery method, you know, you can do it one-on-one with someone who's trained. You can do it on your own with using the book, or you can do it in a group, but I get it where a lot of introverts in particular don't really want to sit there and spill your guts in a group of people. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Not happening. You know, we do it here, but because that is a decision has been made about what right. we're sharing and, and, um, right. you know, what we're willing to be transparent about, but a group full of strangers. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then, then you also have, I also have that other energy and as an impact, I'm feeling all that stuff. And it's, I don't know how helpful that it would be for me, but that's right. my personal yeah. thing. Well, everybody, and right. And everybody has their own way, you know, and that, that's why there's different options, you know, because the extroverts, they want to tell everybody all about it. Oh my gosh, do you know what happened to me the other day? <laughs> right, right. And, and, and it's a beautiful going, yeah, thing. I've been yeah. there too, you know. <laughs> I'd like to be a voyeur to that, but <laughs> I don't know how, how quickly I'm jumping in, in a way that's beneficial to me, but I wouldn't share, but it's about going as deep as I think I need to go. Mm-hmm. In order to yep. release, you know, I'm an introvert, a small group, maybe three people, <laughs> you know, and in fact, more intense kind of. Yes, absolutely. And there, and there's the thing with timing. Some people, I haven't seen this yet. My experience so far with my clients, like I've had people refer me to people and a couple of them said, you know what? I'm still right in the thick of it. Not now. I'll get back to you in a few months when I'm kind of through this part, which I completely get. Some people, I mean, the grief recovery method people say, I haven't seen one yet where somebody's like, oh my God, you know, my loved one died two weeks ago. I'm ready to jump in. I would think that would be pretty unusual <laughs> unless, but see, everybody's different. Maybe that person has been ill for years. Or something so that they've had a long time to kind of process things as they go. It's probably not a sudden death. Someone two weeks later is going to say, all right, I'm ready. Most of the time in my experience is that the person wants to go through their private thing first and then get to a point where they're like, okay, now I'm ready to deal with it. You know, it's totally individual. So yeah, some people it's decades. Some people are processing things that happened decades ago. I don't think that's our story, but it was about six months of this. I think we share is that I don't know whether I would call it isolating. I don't really have a good word for it, but kind of stepping back. And for us, it was getting away. You know, the first time didn't do it. The second time we were better. The second time was a little bit more. And and we came back ready to at least begin to start to get back to some of the things that we were doing. At least that's how it was for me. I don't know for you. Yeah. I mean, it's taken six months for me to get here. <laughs> and now it's but, Christmas. You know, well, and it's just, yeah, my, right. my processing is a little bit different. My kind of disposition is different. Like I don't, I'm definitely a different Nia post 
than pre and it's different attitudes, different outlooks, even just vocabulary and just how I choose to live. And I think mm-hmm. even once I get back to a quote, a hundred percent, it's still going to be different. Um, yes. This one definitely had me kind of stepping back and just taking a break and, and kind of just going back mm-hmm. to like a, a bare minimum and then, you know, starting with a foundation and now rebuilding, <laughs> like yes. you know, yes. knocked down the entire house. And I was like, I'll just restart. Um, you yeah, know, and there's exactly. a lot, I feel a lot of things that came up in remembrance for me of things that my dad had said over the years and, and things like that. And now at this point where I'm like, taking more stock into it, you know, and, and really giving myself that space. And yes, it's different. It took six months for me to go, yeah, let's do the podcast again. (laughs) I'm still at a place where I am still like choosing what I want to do, choosing how I do Mm -hmm. it, choosing when I do it. My dad was always like, you guys need white space. We need white space. And just all of us, the three of us as a family, we need white space. And we didn't have an incredible amount of it. No. no. Um, and so, there, so you're really busy. You mean you're like busy all the time? Yeah, we yes. were. We, we, yeah. He was like, doing, oh, the doing, board is just filled, you yeah. know, he was exhausted <laughs> by our schedule, yeah. you know, and we were too, but we just kept going. Yes. And see, it's very admirable. I just, the, two of you, the way you have taken this on, because I know you are the type of people that are committed to growth and insight and wisdom, and you have faith and, you know, your way of handling this is very inspiring. It really is. And, you know, losing someone we love is, it is a transformative experience. There's no way it's not going to change you, right? (laughs) It's going to change you because it's changed your whole life. It's changed the whole pattern of life, all the familiar habits, the So everything, it's like it blows a hole. You know, someone took the uh, dynamite and blew this gigantic hole in your life. But I can tell the way you two are dealing with it, you are dealing with it in a way that is what I feel like you have some compassion for yourself and for each other, which you can't get any better than that, you know, (laughs) so. I would say that that's also a challenge too, right? Because we do grieve differently. You pile it all on. We're introverts. So you already have that different dynamic of, you know, she could come into a room, but I'm I'm in a deep introversion and she knows to leave and I could come into a room and I, you know, and I know, oh, not right now. <laughs> and, and mornings especially. Right. So yet we are very intentional. And I think for the most part, consider it. Yeah, and I'd also add that we've also, as we talked about in the beginning about the different types of grief, it doesn't have to be death. We're also coming off of a lot of grief that wasn't death. <laughs> we got we have a lot of like really intense things that we've experienced in these past <sighs> 15 years. Wow. Yeah. Kind of growing and you know losses and and kind mm-hmm. of isms that have been created and I know for me part of what with my dad transitioning was a lot of times it was the three of us. It was just the three of us against the world. And so it's the world, right. a member yeah. of that team. It's like, yeah, and then there were two is yeah. the, it's yeah. what it feels so, like. Yeah. Yes. And that, yeah, that's hard. It's also hard. It's just brutally hard. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. It is brutally difficult and painful. And it's kind of a wonder any of us get through it, really. But it's like that's the triumph of the human spirit. You know, it's like, no, yes. we're going to keep going somehow. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're going to make it right. It feels yeah. like hanging on by the fingernails. But what I always said in the in the worst times is step, breathe, step, breathe. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what you two are doing. Step, take a breath, step, take a I, breath and just keep getting through the day. Yep. We've been blessed, too, because we did the podcast to kind of create something out of after being caregivers for my mom and and my mom making her transition. We It was about six months. You know, that seems to be our sweet spot. About six months before it was like, OK, it's time. This is what they would want, too. My goodness. One of the books that Nia read during that time or right 
right before was Viktor Frankl's book. Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. Yeah. So I think Powerful. between the books and they weren't necessarily grief, but they were really life books. And then the podcast where, you know, we've talked to a lot of different people now and heard a lot of different stories and they were inspiring. And everybody has little pieces that I think we've taken away that made us, that changed us too. You know, there were mm-hmm. things that went in our little toolbox so that by the time this hit, I really do think we did really, really well considering like the news, we didn't fall apart. We just kind of galvanized mm-hmm. and and went into, and it's also easier to do something when you're scared too. So it's like, well, we don't know what else to do. Let's be busy. And, um, but I think the aftermath was just the part that was just the hardest. You said it here today and then gone from the face of the earth. I think that's the hardest part mm-hmm. for me. You know, It's like they disappear. You know, people yeah. just disappear. I'm like, wait a minute. Where'd you go? You know, you were here and now you're not here. And it's just so strange. It's like surreal. I don't think it'll stop being surreal. I think there comes a time of acceptance. And in fact, that was another point I would like to make. Speaking of a rabbit hole. Okay. um, (laughs) You know, there's um, Catherine Kubler-Ross's book about um, death and dying and the stages of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, That book was specifically written for people who discover that they themselves have some kind of disease or condition and they are going to die, right? That book has been used worldwide. You'll see it in movies and all places. You know, people say, well, I'm in this stage of grief. Well, I'm thinking and what I've learned is that grief doesn't really have stages. As we were talking a little while ago about you can be laughing one minute, sobbing hysterically the next, angry the next, and then it can go all around. There are not really stages per se. Grief has, it just like you you could be triggered by the simplest things. Divorce is a huge grief producing event. I'll just tell a really quick story. After I was divorced, I came home with the groceries one day and put the bag on the counter and completely lost it because all of a sudden I only had groceries for one person. You know, it's like I had half the stuff I would normally have bought. I mean, you just don't know what's going to send it off. You see some guy who has a yellow tie walking down the street that looks like one Larry used to. You just never know what's going to set you off. And so it's not that there's really stages But again, if we face the feelings, let ourselves express them when we can. We can't always do it. Sometimes you're in a place where it's just not what you want to do, but you get in your car and then you can let it loose or whatever. Um, Let the feelings have their way. And again, by learning what these steps are and dealing with them head on, face on, right? Then we can get through it. And and the pain does start to lessen over time. But some of the myths that we have, which is one of the things, it's also a a bit of a rabbit hole, but so real in today's society, is that people don't know what to say because we haven't all been educated, (laughs) right? They say they they mean it in sincerity, but they don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. So they can say things that make you feel 10 times worse, but they don't really mean to. They just don't know what to say. You know, like people who lose a child, you know, people can say, well, you're still young. You can have another child. It's like, why don't you just stick a knife into my stomach? Really? Mm-hmm. But they don't know what else to say. <laughs> and, and things like that happen all the time. And we have all these myths like time heals all wounds. Well, I don't think that's true because the story you told me earlier about the man who's been grieving the death of his child for 25 years, time has not healed that wound. You know, right action, right thinking, right um processing heals the wound and it doesn't just happen by time you know time may lessen the degree of suffering but it doesn't by itself heal the wound and just you know a lot of people say oh, keep i'm just going to keep busy you know one of my friends died just a few months ago from cancer her husband we, we've known both of them for quite a while and he ended up with a new girlfriend within weeks, a neighbor, right? They, they all known each other before, which I had to process that. I had a hard yeah. time with that, <laughs> but I did. And um, 
But the point was, you know, we can't stay in touch with them. How you doing? I'm busy. I'm golfing every day. I'm having dinner every night with friends. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Da, 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 da. Well, when we did see him probably about two months ago now, I looked at him. I thought, oh my God, he looks awful. I have never seen him look like this. He looked kind of gray and kind of, you know, like your skin, the skin is all like dull. He just looked ill, you know, and he has never looked like that. And I thought, oh, he's, he's really, he's really hurting. Even though he has this other person he's getting companionship with. He's like, at my age, he's like 77. I don't want to be alone. Okay, fine. But he's still not really dealing with it. And I've told him I'm here if and when you're ever ready. But, you know, it's nothing that you can, you know, push on people or anything like that. But I thought, oh, man, he is really hurting, even though he's busy, 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 because a lot of us will just keep busy and then, you know, become a workaholic or I'll start drinking or I'll smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. Or these are called in the grief recovery, call them STURBs, short term energy relieving behaviors, which can be anything from. Mm food, alcohol, drugs to working or working out. I've had friends who mm. work out like three times a day <laughs> and like until they have no knees left. <laughs> like, now they have something help? else to grieve. <laughs> <laughs> so what we have danced around it and I'm so intrigued. What are these steps? What are the seven steps? Well, it's not seven steps that are exactly like I've sort of wrestled with. Do I actually I will describe them um, okay. just in, at a high level. OK, um, so in the session, some of the first things we deal with are these myths about the stages of grief and, and what have you personally experienced, you know, with terrible things that were said to you or myths that you believed, you know, that, oh, if I just stay busy, I'll get over it or whatever those were. We start there because that's kind of a gentle intro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then we go into what other particular STURB, short-term energy relieving behaviors that you have used, right? And we go through those because everybody generally does something even, and it doesn't mean it has to be destructive. Some people bury themselves in books. Hey, I read three fantasy novels last week. <laughs> you know, and it's not that it's bad or harmful, but it's still a way to just not really face the issue. Right. And then we go kind of move step by step to getting to a place where we actually do graphs. And these are amazing. The first one we do is called the loss history graph, where you take a piece of paper and you write, here's the day I was born. Here's where I am today. It's like a, a you know a piece of copy paper or whatever. And you put a line about an inch from the top. That's your lifeline and a line down the middle. Here's my halfway point in my life. And then you indicate every loss, the major losses that you can remember, you know, when I was eight, my grandmother died. When I was 12, we had to move and I had to leave all my friends, so on and so on. You do your whole loss history. And a key part of this recovery process is that you get to then read these things to a witness. And the power of witness cannot be overstated. Witness, in this case, we call it being a heart with ears and no mouth. When you read your loss history graph, for example, if I'm the specialist, I do not speak. I just let you do it. And there's specific ways to do it, you know, that you move through it. And the whole point is not to say, describe in detail, here's what happened. The point is, what did you feel? You know, and we give you a whole list of expressive words or feelings. Like I felt betrayed, I felt lost, I felt angry, I felt hurt, whatever, you know, and we go through the whole life history, which can be pretty rough, you know, but it's like getting all of the losses in your life lined up so you can look at them. And then at a certain point, usually after that, sometimes people come in knowing what relationship they want to work on. And then there's a choice, which relationship do I want to work on now? Because we usually all of us have a handful you know, because it doesn't have to be a person that's dead. It can be a person maybe had a rotten relationship with a parent, you know, whether they're dead or alive, it still affects you. It can be that. Anyway, then we do a similar thing. We do a graph for that specific relationship, which is going to have ups and downs. Here's the high points. Here's the low points. Again, you go through that with witness. 
right? It's because it's you get to give voice to every single one of those feelings that accompanied those high and low points with that specific individual. And then we look at that relationship graph to find the areas for things that we wish to apologize for. We mark those down. We mark the things that we need to forgive them for. And then we have another category called significant emotional statement, which is where we get to say those things that we never said, such as I'm so, you know, I wish you're just a wonderful person and I miss your smile and your, I wish I told you more often how much I love it that you sent me notes all the time, whatever it is, right? So we go through that, which can be quite emotional. And all these things, you know, take like each of those steps takes about an hour to do, but we do it week by week. So it's a progression. And then those recovery components, as we call them, read that to the witness. And then the last step is you write a letter to the person in a very specific way. And that kind of puts it all together where you get to give voice to all those things that were never said or never completed when the person was there. So that's kind of the overview in more detail than I usually give, but I think it's okay. (laughs) You know, so it sounds like at the end of that, you have a sense of closure. Yep. I did with my brother. I did when I finished reading that letter, I was like, huh, wow, I feel much better. And then another point, the thing is, and then you have those tools forever for the rest of your life. You never have to go back to this beginning, but next time you have a loss or if you decide, you know, it's like, I mean, I did my first round with my brother and then I did a grief recovery on my mother while she was still alive. And so then when she died, I had already kind of gotten it because my mother had advanced Alzheimer's for six and a half years. She was going down, down, down. So I was grieving all the way through. You know, I was grieving for six and a half years because it's that long, slow, painful goodbye, losing bits and pieces of her all the time. But I've discovered now that I'm dealing with some issues with my mother's estate involving my brother, which I won't bore you with. I find myself getting angry all over again. And so <laughs> I have I have a buddy, a dear friend who lives in Alberta, Canada, who she and I are fast friends now. We went through the program of training together. And so now she's my witness. I'm like, okay, we call it a PS letter. If you find other issues come up for this person that you already did the program on, you can go, okay, uh, this Thursday, I'm doing a PS letter to my brother with her as my witness. <laughs> because I discovered there was a few things I was still angry about. So you never have to go through all the steps again. But if you want to do another relationship, you just do the relationship graph, the whole timeline with that person, the recovery components and the letter. And so you can use these tools forever. It's very, very useful. Do you think, do you find, I, I don't know um, whether you people have said this to you or you know people on both sides, which have people found to be most effective, the guided process or the do it on your own? Um, I know people who have both ways. One of my friends had a terrible divorce and then her husband died about a year later. And I sent her the book and I told her, I'm happy to do this with you if you want. But she read, went through the book and did this process. And she said, wow, that really helped me. So some people are kind of do-it-yourselfers by nature. <laughs> and some people can do it on their own or they can do it with another witness. You know, that some, a dear friend or someone who's trusted who will. It's critical when going through these the later steps with the graphs and the recovery components and the letter that the person does not talk. There is no need for correction, because it's going to stop the flow. The whole point is to let all this stuff out with someone who's sympathetic, empathetic, but not saying a word. There is no need for analyzing you. Why'd you do that? Or you should could have done that or should none of that. It's an amazing, powerful uh, thing that what witness can do for someone. So, I mean, I think it just depends on the person and what their preferences are, really. And, you know, it costs money for people who are trained and who do this for a living. A lot of people do it a lot more than I do. I do several kinds of coaching and I do this too, you know. So, I mean, there is an investment of time, energy, and money if you do it with a trained specialist. And whereas just buy a $12 book and do it on your own if if that's your style. You know, it's like, it's totally open. 
Okay. Is there anything else that you think let's see um, didn't cover or we may have missed that would be really beneficial? You know, there's one thing I would like to point out because again, there's like 40 losses really with you know death, um, divorce, loss of pet, loss of money, job, home, all kinds of things. But in many people, in fact, when I went through the training, more people were working when they did their specific relationships, were working on people that were alive than people were dead. There was only two of us that were working on dead people. <laughs> um, and so what's critical about this particular process is that the point is not, even if the person is still alive, you don't take all this stuff to that person. This is totally for you. <laughs> you don't read that letter to that person. You do it for yourself. And in fact, I just saw this amazing statement that is still rattling my cage by a spiritual teacher who said, I'm not sure I'll get the words exactly right, but it was a relationship is really just you and your attitude toward the other person. That still rocks my boat big time, you know? And so in a sense, that's what we're talking about here. You know, the grief is between you and you. You know, it's not really between you and the other person. And so it's for you to resolve within yourself. And then, you know, if it's a person who's still alive, you may change totally your relationship with that person. But it's not like you're doing this to tell them all this stuff. No, that's not the point. You're doing it to resolve your own unfinished business with that person. It does really, it's back to begins and ends with us. Mm-hmm. It, really it does. does. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And it's all about I'm going to have to sit with that one. Yeah, I know. I'm still sitting with it. It rocked my boat so bad. <laughs> Wait a minute. What about the other person? I mean, not to say it's absolutely gospel either, but it's certainly an intriguing concept to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, we're very taken with our opinions about something and how we feel about <laughs> it. It doesn't make it true or real or right. That's right. It's where That's right. we are and it, does, exactly. and it has an impact on the relationship and how we respond to that person. You remove that, you might be really surprised that, wow, they're yeah. like pretty amazing, you know, or exactly you know? like our biases and our, you know, our, our um, grudges from past things that went wrong and all that, you know, if we can get past those it might be like a whole new day. So there's a prize inside too. I like that. <laughs> I like that and can I, I would just like to give a couple of resources too, right? Um, oh, that'd be this, awesome. Which is on its way to you as we speak. The grief recovery handbook is the handbook for the grief recovery method. You know, when it's like when I have a client, I send them one of the first things I do is I send them this. It comes in either Kindle version or cover or paperback, and it's not expensive. And this is a really good uh, resource for anyone who is going through grief. And then a friend of mine, after my mom died, told me about another book, which I only have on Kindle, but it's called Final Gifts, G-I-F-T-S. It's written by two hospice nurses. And it is amazing because it talks about the process that people who are dying and their family members go through. Because what happened with my mom is she had this advanced Alzheimer's. It was, you know, kind of stable for a long time. And her doctor had told me, you know, her heart's strong. She could live for years. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, thank God we had long term care insurance because it paid over half a million dollars for her care. <laughs> over We're having you back to talk about long-term care right. insurance, by the way. Right. So, yeah. Yes, we will do yes. that later. Um, the point was, I was so, I was very fearful that she would go all the way to the end of Alzheimer's, which can be very terrible when people can't swallow anymore. And I won't go through all the gory, but it can be really horrible. And I was praying, God, can we, can you take her out before she gets to that point? And around her birthday just happened a couple of months before she died. And I went to on her birthday and I just had this inspiration to tell her, I love you so much. And I'm so glad we get to spend these last few years together. Um, but, you know, Ernie, her, her husband, my dad is up there waiting for you. Gary, my brother's up there waiting for you. All these other people who love you are there. I'm fine. You don't have to stay for me. I'm good. So whenever you're ready to go, you just go. Well, she died two weeks later. She just closed her eyes, stopped eating, stopped drinking, and went this peaceful way. No morphine, no nothing. 
it was such a gift. It was an absolute divine gift. And this book talks about that, how it happens all the time. Once you let people, you release people. I said that to Larry too. And mm-hmm. I, I told him, we, we will be fine. You know, you don't, I don't want you to go. But if this is what you feel you need to do, we're going to mm-hmm. be okay. And I had asked him, um, did he want to fight or was he too tired? And he said both. So yeah. that was part of what had me say the other to him. He was, you know, he had kind of gone to sleep and wasn't really waking up. On the other side of the grief space, though, it's like, but I'm not really ready for you to go. But I didn't say. Yeah. Well, it's understandable. You know, I don't know if we're ever really ready. No, Um, it's it's just it's a hard thing. It's just really hard. No, I'm just saying for him, it would have been really a very difficult existence. Some people are like, no, I'd rather be out of here than go through that. Exactly. Same thing with my mom. It's just not easy. It's kind of where we it's started. Not it's not easy. Yeah. It is not easy at all. But I am so grateful for this opportunity to speak with you. And I'm so glad that you decided to move on and, you know, keep pressing forward and doing your podcast again, because you two really are an inspiration. You have so much to share in all kinds of ways. Oh my gosh. You're so sweet. Thank, Thank you, you so much. But you have an offer too for our, our listeners. Right. Um, any of your guests or listeners, if you would like to have a chat with me about this, you know, to see if grief recovery is good for you. There, the link to my particular mini site is in, I think on the show notes or somewhere. Yes, it's um, going to be on the website. And you can mm-hmm. just feel absolutely free to contact me and we'll just have a chat to see, you know, if it's the right thing for you to do. And if I'm the right person to work with you, it's really important that there's a good fit. If it's not me, there's thousands of other people out there that do this all over North America. You know, I charge fees for this because, you know, it's part of what I do to make a living. However, I also have a sliding scale because to me, the money is not as important as helping people who need help. And so if there's someone who really wants to do this with me, but they don't have the money to pay what my useless charges are, then that's, you know, we'll work it out. And for all your listeners too, I will give a 10% discount if they decide to work with me. Thank you so much. We mm-hmm. we'd love that sharing the love. So thank you. Absolutely. You know, that's the thing is that I'm blessed to be at this point in my life where I can serve. And money, of course, is important. I have bills too, like everyone, but it's not the most important thing <laughs> by long shot. Right. Yeah. So. Thank you. That is such a generous offer. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important cause. Like Just getting clear could make the difference as to what happens with the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's completing what's been incomplete so that now you kind of have a fresh start you're going to be a different person, but you can be a different person in a really good way. You know, if you if you let this alchemy happen and turn all this lead into gold and then you can move on and have a great life. And that and ne- never it doesn't mean that you you think any less of the person you lost or that, you know, you're denying their memory or anything like that. It just means that you get to live your life and still have that love for them, but not with all those unfinished loops going around of what it could have should have that sapped so much energy out of us. I agree. Thank you so much. This is nourishing. And and I I actually had, um, I mean, there are times I got a little emotional, but I also felt uplifted and I cannot wait to see the book. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I think me is too, because we're both, we both journal. Yeah. Well, she's better than That's at great. consistency than I am. Um, but <laughs> I, I write my way through things. So mm-hmm. it's perfect for me. Yes. And I'm hoping that it, it is the same for our listeners. And if it is not the thing for you, we hope that you find something that is. There are a lot of resources. We will put some of the places you can look on the website and you can check there. And tell us about Mm -hmm. them. We want to know all the ways. (laughs) We want to know all the ways. And if you have something, yes, we'll add it to the website. That's something that's helped you as well. So thank you so much for coming to tea. Thank you, (laughs) Deb and Nia. This has been such a privilege and I look forward to the next time we get to connect. Yes. Blessings to you and healing thank you thank you we appreciate it we also like to thank you our audience for joining us this week as always links and resources will be on the website if you are interested in the grief recovery method or interested in having one-on-one coaching with susan be sure to look in the show notes of whatever podcast streaming platform you are listening on right now or 
do go to the website because it will also be there. So you got two options. <laughs> We're helping you out. <laughs> um, and if you really liked this episode or feel that you know someone who is struggling with grief and remember that grief isn't just death, it's loss. It, you know, any type of pain or removal or difference in your lifestyle that, you know, you have had a pattern of. If you know anyone who's going through that, a divorce, anything, please do share it with those that you know. I think it's especially our main focus for this episode was to show and and make sure that people know that there are options um, so that they aren't just doing it on their own or aren't just stuffing it down because uh, we want you to live a long and vibrant life <laughs> and enjoy every moment. And then also make sure to hit that subscribe button so that you know all of our episodes that are coming out in the future. Also, Happy holidays. It's happy it's holidays. That time. It's that time. It's and that time. we are nearing the end of the year. It's creeping up on us. And yeah. And we'll let you know how that goes for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we're creating a new normal. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. And we shall see you next year. We might have a little surprise before the end of the year. We'll see you next year. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you again. Real Talk with Deb and Nia can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and on Google Podcast. You can also check out our YouTube channel. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RealTalkDN. See, See you, you next time. time.